Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. Reading through verse 29, please give your attention as I read God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word in your hearing. Paul writes, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works mightily in me. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. It's interesting because as I'm thinking about how to, you know, give an illustration to open, I don't go to the movies as much as I used to. <laughs> um, just because there's just not a lot of good movies out there that I want to see. But uh, I do remember, you know, back in the day when you'd go to the movies quite a bit. And you always go to the movies, and the first thing you do is, you know, of course you get in line, and you want to get your popcorn and your pop and everything. And then you sit down, and you watch the previews, right? The coming attractions, the previews of movies that are about to come out. Um, and they usually take up about 20 minutes, and then by the time the previews are done, you're done with your popcorn. But um, at any rate, these previews would show you coming attractions. What is on the horizon? What is coming down the pike? What should you be looking forward to? A lot of times, a lot of these movies are like, yeah, that's a good one. I want to go see that one. Or, eh, I'm not sure about that one. That one looks like a chick flick. You know, that one might be more for my wife. I, I want an explosion. Show me an explosion. But... What the Old Testament, in a sense, is, and what Advent is, in a sense, as well, is a preview. The Old Testament is a preview of coming attractions. Uh, all throughout the Old Testament, we're given hints, we're given signs, we're given things that point to Jesus Christ. We're told way back in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, that there's going to be one who comes who is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And that, in a sense, is a preview. It is a preview of one who will come. And all throughout the Old Testament, you trace this uh, line, if you will, this line of promise, this line of the seed of the woman. And uh, you see more hints and previews of Jesus in the Old Testament through the Old Testament sacrificial system. The Lamb of God, right? The, the Day of Atonement, all this pointed to Christ. Uh, the King, the great King, when David becomes King, he is in a sense a preview of Jesus Christ. The prophets who come and proclaim the Word of God, calling the people to repentance, are all previews of Christ. And what we see here in this passage is, among other things, Paul talks about a mystery. He talks about a mystery in verse 26. 
And it says a mystery that was hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. So this mystery, if you will, is the, the previews. But now the movie is out. Now the, the main attraction is out, and that is Jesus. That's what Advent is. It's pointing to the coming of Christ. And as, as we get you know, closer and closer to the day that we celebrate his birth, we are looking at expectation. We are looking at hope and peace and joy and love. Everything that the Old Testament expected in the coming of Messiah will be fulfilled in his coming. Uh, the Old Testament expectation points to the New Testament reality. And what we'll see in this passage as we look at the theme of hope, hope in the Messiah, is our hope in Christ here as we see uh, in verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is our hope. Our hope in Christ is the promise of our future glorification. Our hope in Christ is the promise of our future glorification. I made the joke in Sunday school that we're back to three points. Uh, the last few sermons have been four points, five points, six points, you know, whatever. Well, now we're back to a three-point sermon as we are looking at this passage in three points. Uh, first, we're going to see Paul talk about his ministry in verses 24 through 26. He's going to talk about the, mission, uh, the mystery in verse 27, and then the message in verses 28 and 29. So Paul's ministry, the mystery, the message. You know, and that's why you pay me the big bucks in order to alliterate like this. Ministry, mystery, message. Uh, easy to remember. So first let's look at the ministry in verses 24 through 26 where Paul again says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Now, if Advent is the celebration of the coming of Jesus, you might want to ask, well, why is it that we celebrate this? What is special? Why is this something that we should celebrate? Well, I think Paul talks about that uh, in verses that are just a little bit before our passage this morning. Because the book of Colossians primarily is talking about the preeminence of Christ. His, his vast superiority to uh, false religion and, and other things and, and human philosophy. And if you just peek up ahead in chapter 1, verse 15, why, are, why is Christ special? Why do we celebrate his advent? Why is this something that we should look forward to? Because as Paul says here, of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In that, uh, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Why is Christ special? Because he is preeminent. 
because he is the firstborn of all creation, because he is the firstborn from the dead, because he is the head of the body, which is the church, because all things were made through him and for him and to him. And in him all things consist. We see in this time of Advent, as we come up to uh, celebrate Christmas Day, we see the baby in the manger. Right? You see the weak little baby in the manger, and we need to understand that this weak little baby in the manger, Paul sees here as the Lord of glory, as the preeminent one, as the one who spoke this universe into existence, comes in the form of this little baby. And the hope here that we have in Christ is the hope or the expectation of the coming of this preeminent one. The hope of Advent is the coming of this Lord of glory into the world to fulfill the plan of redemption. This is what the Old Testament pointed to, and this is what we now look back upon and remember. And it's this hope, this hope that Paul talks about is what fueled his ministry. This, this hope is what, what gave Paul his, you know, sort of his, his uh, energy to go forth and to, to proclaim this message that he will, we will see at in a moment. But this hope fueled his ministry. Verses 23 and, uh, 23 and 24, again, it says, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And he talks about rejoicing in his sufferings for you, and filling up in his flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for his sake, the body which is the church. Paul became a minister of this gospel, right? Paul was not a minister of the gospel when he, uh, before he came to Christ. Paul was anything but a minister of the gospel. You know his story well from Acts chapter 9. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And, and he went out persecuting the church one day. And on that day, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him, the Lord of glory. This preeminent one appeared to him and said, Paul, you will be my minister. You will no longer be breathing out murderous threats against the church. You are now going to proclaim and herald the message of the hope of glory that comes out to you. This is Paul. He is a minister. He has been given a stewardship. He has been given a, a task. He, a steward is one who has been entrusted with something by a master to watch over and guard and manage. And Paul has been given the stewardship to manage this mystery, as we'll see in a moment. But notice how he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Paul knew what being a minister meant. It wasn't a life of ease and, 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 and popularity, right? You know, you kind of see some of the famous ministers and pastors, quote-unquote pastors, that you see on TV and write books and get, you know, they speak in all the, you know, in these big giant, you know, cathedral churches. And you're like, that doesn't look like how Paul ministered. Paul was anything but that, right? Paul knew what suffering was like. He knew that suffering was part and parcel of the ministry to which he was called. He says in Philippians, 
chapter 1, verse 29, to you it has been granted to not only have faith in Lord Jesus Christ, but to suffer for his sake. And in chapter 3, verse 10, he talks about how he gladly suffers all things for Christ. In fact, 1 Peter talks about how suffering is to be expected in the church. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Peter there says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And then drop down and later on he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Paul knew that suffering was part and parcel of the Christian life. Peter says, do not be surprised if suffering comes upon you because the Lord of glory came in this world to suffer. So why should we expect any different? So Paul knew that his sufferings were part and parcel of his ministry. He knew that to follow Christ, as he says here, was to fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. It's not, he's not saying here that Christ's sufferings were not enough. What he's saying here is that the world gets to Jesus Christ through persecuting the church. So Paul, in a sense, is filling up the anger of the world that they have against Christ by his own sufferings as he is afflicted for the sake of Christ. It is as if the world is continuing to persecute Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus. When he says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Well, who was Paul persecuting? He was persecuting the church, but Jesus associates the church with himself. Paul's ministry of suffering was for the sake of Christ's body, the church. Paul's ministry here is to reveal the, minist- the mystery that was given to him, that had been hidden in the old covenant, and now is being revealed in the new covenant. And Paul says here, this mystery has now been revealed, and I have the stewardship which was given to me to fulfill, or rather to, to sort of proclaim or make fully known this word of God. Paul here desires to make fully known. He sees his ministry as one to reveal the whole counsel of God, one to make known fully what has been uh, made known to him, to proclaim the entire message that has been given to him. In other words, to reveal the mystery, to reveal the mystery that had been hidden in the Old Covenant and now has been revealed in the New. In other words, Paul's ministry here is to explain Advent, if you will. Paul's ministry is to say, look, the one that you were expecting in the Old Testament, the one that was sort of hidden in the types and the shadows of the Old Testament, has now been revealed. And he is, the, he is the, the, the Lord of glory. He is the preeminent one. He is our hope for glory. Now before we get to what the mystery is, we must take note of the hope of the gospel, right? Paul here says earlier, um, if you look at chapter 1, verse 5, 
where he says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. So this hope is something that comes through the gospel. It is a hope that is laid up in heaven. And we saw this earlier in chapter 1, verse 23. He says, look, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. This, this is the hope of the gospel. This, this message of Jesus coming into the world. This message of the one who comes to fulfill the hope of glory. This is what propelled Paul's life. This is what fueled his ministry. This is why he was able to withstand all of the beatings and the persecutions. Because he knew he had a stewardship that was given to him by God. His goal was to make this mystery fully known to any and all who would hear. Do we see the gospel in this light? We think of the gospel, it's like, okay, it's a message of Jesus, he died for my sins, and so on and so forth. Does it motivate us? Does it fuel our lives? Do we live in light of the gospel? That this, this, this mystery that has been revealed, that Paul suffered so much to make known to us, do we feel this? Do we see the gospel in this light? So that's the ministry of Paul, to make known the mystery. Well, what is the mystery? Well, we're going to see that in verse 27. To them God willed, the them there is the saints, in verse 26. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. So Gentile inclusion, if you have been with us through our study of Ephesians, you see that theme here as well. What is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul likes mysteries. Okay? I mean, I'm not talking like Agatha Christie mysteries or whatever mysteries are popular these days. Paul likes mysteries. Right? In Romans 11.25, he talks about the mystery of the hardening of Israel's to, to bring in uh, the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the mystery that, our, that we will not, uh, you know, that when Christ returns, we will all be remade, that we will uh, be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, he talks about the mystery of Gentile inclusion in the church. In chapter 5, verse 32 of Ephesians, he talks about the mystery which is Christ and the church uh, reflects, is reflected, I should say, in the, the, the relationship between a husband and his wife. So Paul likes mysteries. Paul, of course, is just a vessel through whom God makes known these mysteries to us. He has been chosen by God, in a sense, to be a revealer of mysteries. That sounds like a cool title, right? You know, I should put that on my business card, you know. Pastor Carl Goldman, revealer of mysteries. But uh, um, that's what we're doing here. We are proclaiming the word of God. We are making fully known the mystery to the people of God. And it's because we are creatures, it's because we are fallen, God has to reveal, he has to make these things known. He has to make known his plan of redemption. We're not going to wake up and look at the world and see that there's a plan of redemption. It is only based on the fact that God has revealed this to us that we know these things. 
It is only because God has chosen to reveal these things through his servants, through uh, Abraham and David and Moses and the prophets and the apostles and, and finally in Jesus Christ, he has revealed this mystery to us. In fact, the entire Bible is a record of special revelation. It is what God has preserved for us so that we know what he has revealed to us. Every word in here has been revealed by the word of God to his servants and has been proclaimed to us. And of course, it is revealed progressively, right? That's why Paul says the mystery that was hidden in ages past. They didn't know the fullness of of what Christ was going to be. That would be revealed later. So it's a progressive, special revelation which culminates in Jesus Christ, who is the full and final revelation of God, as we see in Hebrews chapter 1. But it's God who must do the making known, if that makes sense. God is the one who makes known. God is the one who makes this known to us. He is the revealer. He is the one who gives this uh, message to Paul to reveal to us. And this was something that God willed to do. It is something he desired to do. To them, God willed to make known. God wanted to make known. What did he want to make known? The riches of his glory. The riches of his glory. We looked at that word before. God is fabulously wealthy in glory. He he abounds in glory and he wants to make us know these riches himself. This is a mystery that has now been revealed to the Gentiles as well. They are included in this as well. And what we see here, the mystery is essentially an unveiling of our salvation in Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. This glory of Christ, this, this, this mystery of Christ in you. Here we see in chapter 2, verse 3, that is speaking of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul here is saying, look, God has given this message to me to make known to you the riches of this glory that Christ here possesses all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the preeminent one. Christ is the, 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 the Lord of glory. And then the mystery, of course, here is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when Paul here says Christ in you, he is speaking of our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. If you remember in John's Gospel, chapter 15 there, uh, which is just you know some months ago we were there. But in chapter 15 you get the, the dialogue there of Jesus in the upper room where he talks about the true vine. I am the true vine, he says. He says, every branch is in me bears much fruit. You have to abide in him. So that's what he says in chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So when Paul here says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he is talking about union. He's talking about abiding in Christ. He's talking about how Christ is in you, how Christ gives you life, how now because you're united to him, you can bear much fruit for him. It's what he says in in Galatians as well. In Galatians 2, verse 20, that great verse there, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is now no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Christ died on the cross, because of our union with Christ, it's as if we died well as well. But it's not like we died physically. That old man has been dead, and now the life we live is Christ living in us. That's why Paul here says, Christ in you. Christ in you. And he calls this the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the earnest expectation of our eventual glorification. It is the earnest expectation of our eventual glorification. When he says there's hope of glory, what he's saying here is Christ is in you. And what, what does that mean? It means that you now have the hope, the expectation that as he has now been resurrected into his glorious body, you too will be glorified. Paul earlier in the book of Romans talks about this. We often use this passage sometimes at funerals. Uh, But in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, he says here, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time which are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. It's the hope of glory. It's the hope of glory. That's why Paul says, look, whatever happens to me in this world, whatever the sufferings of this present time, he says, it's not, it's not worth even considering. Like, just put it out of your mind. Now, he's not making light of our suffering in this world. Yes, there's suffering in this world. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's all kinds of things that are going wrong, and we should care about these things. But he's like, compared to what awaits for you, this is going to seem like nothing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? That's what Paul says here. He says the hope of glory it is, in a sense, the expectation that everything that we've gone, been going through in this life is going to be considered as nothing. It's like, oh, that was nothing. It was a walk in the park. I've got the hope of glory. He says that's going to be revealed in us. Yes, we await it. Christ in us is the guarantee of that. That's why he can call it an earnest expectation of the hope of glory. In a companion passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Very similar passage in chapter 4, verse 17. I've read this before. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And there you've got the comparison between something that is light, that is fleeting, that is vapor, and the weightiness, which kind of is a play on the word for glory, which means substance. It's like everything happening in this life compared to glory is light. It's, it's, a, it's an affliction that only lasts for a moment. And it is something that Peter also looks forward to. In the opening of Peter's first letter, he says here, Blessed be the Lord, or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Again, that idea of a hope. We have a living hope. What is the foundation of that living hope? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is that hope? Is an inheritance which is incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade, reserved in heaven for you. The hope of glory. The hope of an eternal inheritance which is incorruptible, undefiled, unfading. Everything in this world corrupts. It gets defiled. It fades away. Peter here is saying, look, we have a living hope which comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an eternal inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, never fading away. That is the hope of glory. In a sense, it is the restoration of the broken image of God. What is the hope of glory? It's a restoration to what we lost in the fall and then, and then some. Because it's not just a restoration to the way Adam was. It is a restoration to the way Adam should have been. We are, in a sense, coming back to paradise. It is the idea of paradise regained. That is the hope of glory. That is what the advent of Jesus Christ is talking about. That is why Paul here can say, I am a steward of this mystery that has been hidden, but has now been revealed to the saints. When we think of advent, we often think of Jesus coming to die for our sins. And yes, amen to that. Amen to Jesus dying for our sins. That's very important. But the hope laid up in heaven, the hope of the gospel, the hope of glory is not just the forgiveness of our sins. It is our glorification. It is the fact that not only has the penalty of sin been paid for, not only has the power of sin been broken, but now the presence of sin will be done away with. That is the hope of glory. That is what Advent is about. That is what our glorification is about. It is about us being presented to Jesus Christ as a beautiful bride adorned in fine linen, bright and pure, as we see in Revelation 19. That is the hope of glory. That is what Advent is all about. It's about the culmination of all of this as we will be presented to Jesus Christ as his chaste bride. And he will take us and we will be with him forever. That's the mystery. Finally, let's look at the message, verses 28 and 29. Not not the Bible paraphrase, but the message of Paul here. Where he says, Him we preach, Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. So because of this glorious mystery that has been entrusted to Paul as a stewardship, Paul makes it his mission to proclaim Christ. Him we preach, probably better translated, Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Jesus Christ is the message that we proclaim week in, week out. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is to announce, it is to declare, it is to make known. The content of the gospel message is not be a better person. If you've been with us through Ephesians in the mornings, that's you know, where we're at now in Ephesians is it's not behavior modification. I could do behavior modification. I could sit here and guilt trip you into being better people. But that's not the gospel. <laughs> that's not the gospel. The gospel isn't saying don't sin. The gospel is the hope of glory. 
The gospel is Christ in you. The gospel is our future glorification. It is a message of what Christ has come to do. That's what Advent's all about. Christ coming into this world. Christ fulfilling the task that was given to him by the Father. Christ accomplishing redemption for us. I could even preach a message that you hear from some other churches about how the gospel is about being healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not it either. The gospel message is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why Paul labors. What he says in verse 29, to this end I labor and striving. Labor uh, speaks of like, ladies, you know what labor is, right? (laughs) If you've given birth, you know what labor is. That's what Paul's like, I I labor. And that word striving is agonize. I, I labor, I agonize over this. Not only because of the fact that he is being persecuted for this, but also because what does he want to do? He wants to present every man perfect in Christ. That's why I proclaim Christ. That's why I proclaim Christ in you, the hope of glory, because I want you to be perfect. I want you to be mature. It's not perfect, sinless. It's mature, complete. You are children in Christ, and the idea of the proclamation of Christ is to grow you up. It is to continue to feed you as you feed a baby. Uh, He grows into a child, grows into an adult. That's what Paul wants to do. That's why he proclaims Christ in you, the hope of glory, to mature you. To bring you to full uh, adulthood in the faith. So he strives, he labors according to the power that's working mightily in him. And he does so by warning and teaching. You warn people when they start to go off course. You teach them so that they don't go off course. That's what he's doing here. The hope of glory is being perfected in Christ. Look at chapter 1, verse 22. Well, I I hate starting in the middle of a sentence. Look at chapter 1, verse 21. And you, that's us, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked words, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to what? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That is when he says here, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. Now again, chapter, verse 9. Why do they do that? Why do they break verses in the middle of a sentence? Chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete, perfected, in him who is the head of all principality and power. Paul labors and strives his end or goal. And that's why he can suffer joyfully and endure the suffering for the sake of the body. For Paul, it was worth it. For Paul, everything he went through in his life was worth it. The fact that he is writing this from a Roman prison cell is worth it. Because he's like, as long as you are being perfected, as long as you are being made mature, I can rejoice here in a prison knowing that you are being grown up in the fact that you know that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The hope that we have in Christ is our glorification. Everything that's wrong in this world, 
Everything from our own sin to the fallenness of the world to the, to the fact that the world itself groans, as Paul says in Romans 8, will be made right and we will be restored and renewed into the glory of Christ. This hope of glory will be fulfilled when Christ returns. And this is the proclamation that we must pro- uh, reclaim, I should say, in our churches today. This is what I strive to preach and teach. And if I don't preach and teach this, then you should have words with me. And I wish and hope and pray that all of our churches proclaim Him. Him we proclaim. Don't give me five tips on how to be a better this, that, or the other thing. Don't give me 12 ways to be more successful in this, that, or the other thing. Preach me Christ. Proclaim to me Christ. Proclaim to me the fact that Christ is in me and I have the hope of glory. That's what I want to hear. That's what I hope to proclaim to you. As we reflect on Advent, we must not divorce our hope of glory from the coming of Christ. If Christ doesn't come, if we have no Advent, there's no hope of glory. That's why we have a hope of glory, because there is an Advent, because Christ came the first time and secured our glory by himself uh, taking our sin upon himself dying to it being resurrected being ascended to the right hand of God the Father and he will now return in glory so that we will be glorified as well he is the reason for the season and this hope of glory delivered through the proclamation of Christ is the mystery that was progressively revealed in the Old Testament and brought to its fullness in the New Testament with the coming of Christ. What God said to Adam and Eve in the garden way back in Genesis 3.15, that there will come one who is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, that has been fulfilled as we see in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. In the fullness of time, Christ came, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. That is the hope of glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we see here this morning, as we begin to look at this Advent season, and we look at the hope we have in Christ, may we recognize that Jesus Christ came into this world so that we might have the hope of glory. And may we proclaim Him in all we do, warning and teaching everyone that they may be made mature in Christ. Let this be our goal. Let this be our mission. Let this be what fuels our purpose for living as a church. And as church members, Lord, may we take hope in the glory that awaits us. May we say with Paul, the light and momentary affliction that we Suffer now is nothing compared to the weight of glory that awaits us at your return. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.